are listening to another episode of No Fair Remembering Stuff, the Tuesday edition of the Professional Left Podcast, and available wherever you get your podcasts, and at our website, proleftpod.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a Patreon button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at the Professional Left Podcast, P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. And it's not safe for work. As you might already know, if you're a regular listener, we here at The Professional Left did an extensive dive into the rise and gradual deterioration of the liberal blogosphere during a series of No Fair Remembering Stuff podcasts earlier this year. But I was just listening to a pretty fair conversation between Joan Walsh, who was formerly of Salon, and Tim Miller, who is currently of The Bulwark and MSNBC and shows up in your living room and is everywhere. Uh, And after fondly recalling those heady early days of the blogosphere, when we really did stomp the Terra, Joan Walsh began wondering what had happened to all of us. And she just sort of trailed off. But it was a good question. And and I got to give props to Tim Miller, who, as of late, has been doing some mea culpas. Yes. Uh, And so here's what Joan Walsh said on the Tim Miller podcast. Quote, yeah, it was it was lonely out there being anti-war during the early Bush administration is what she's talking about. But the blogs took off and took over. And that's what I recall. And I don't know what's going on now. I mean, you know, we all bet on the Internet. And, you know, Salon and Slate were going to eat the New York Times's lunch. And, you know, we're just it's still a slog at Salon. God bless them. They're still slogging along. Slate's doing a little better, but it's a slog. And, you know, Huffington Post, yeah, Huffington Post was Mm -hmm. going to put everybody out of business. I don't know where Arianna Huffington is now. She's definitely got a lot of money. (laughs) Yes, she does. Unquote. Unquote. So rather than ask you to spend a few hours listening to our deep dive into that question, we're going to offer a short summary of wither the liberal blogosphere. And a lot of this you've probably heard before from us, especially if you're regular listeners, but getting it all in one place, and particularly since the question was asked mm-hmm. this week, where mm-hmm. is everybody? Where did everybody go? Uh, we think it's important to say, here we are. And, and if you feel uh, moved to send this podcast along to Joan Walsh, who's 80 and doing great and is very lucid and fun. And you interviewed her once, actually, I believe. I did. I interviewed mm-hmm. her once for Crooks and Liars. Yeah. Yeah. Great writer. Uh, love her tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or if you feel like sending this podcast along to Tim Miller, who blocked me several years ago for, <laughs> for remembering stuff, for remembering <laughs> stuff that he, at the time, really, really, really didn't want to talk about. Uh, but that's sort of what this He's mellowing, I think, He's a mellowing. little bit. He, he yeah. really is. I, the, the title of the podcast they did was called Mia Culpa. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're starting to get there. At least some of them are. Now, to start with, there are still a few of us around from the old liberal blog, uh, blogosphere days. And we're still doing what we've been doing for nearly 20 years. And that is taking the measure of the world as it is, as we see it, comparing it to the world we had hoped it would be, and writing about the delta between those two. Now, we bloggers were also early adopters of podcasting. Our Professional Left podcast was up and running nearly 14 years ago with weekly episodes from the cornfield back when the crooked media lads were still writing speeches for Barack Obama, which is great work if you can get it. And the Bulwark crew and the Lincoln Project team were just run-of-the-mill, everyday Republican hitmen being paid to slag the shit out of us as America-hating, terrorist-loving, libtard commie scum. And yes, we did a whole series about the fanatic life and symbolic death among the liberal blogosphere bums, which was heard by literally dozens of people. And there hangs a tale. Yeah. So Joan asked, what happened to the liberal blogosphere? Mm-hmm. And some, like the late lamented OG blogger Steve Gilliard, died. He died young and broke. Um, because the left has never supported its writers and speakers the way wealthy conservatives 
doling out the patient capital of the right does. Just never. It's never even been close. We were wildly outmatched from the beginning, but that didn't matter for our strength was as the strength of 10 because our hearts were pure, Driftglass. They were pure. 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 Yeah. And we made a real difference for a while. But pure hearts don't buy groceries. And many more of our comrades just plain wore themselves out trying to make a living doing political busking on the internet. And unless you can't stop like we can't stop, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, I I don't think you and I would be still doing it this way if we didn't have each other. I really don't. Oh, I I quite agree. Because we, we found each other through the internet and the blogging shared interest reading each other's blogs. Yeah. And we, we do lean on each other for support during lean times. There've been a lot of lean times. I'm sure there'll be lean times in the future. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the liberal blogosphere as it was then, and the remnants that are, are extant. Now we were always fighting a war on two different fronts. And one front was, and is continually the conservative propaganda machine, which is huge and loud and obscenely well-funded and ubiquitous. It has tentacles everywhere. And to the conservative media, we always have been and always will be America-hating, terrorist-loving, libtard, commie scum. But the other front was and is the establishment media, which was much larger than conservative media and much more deeply entrenched and much more financially secure and more stable. And thanks to their long, long institutional history, They had accumulated one incredibly valuable asset that conservative media could never replicate. They were credible. Mm -hmm. They were respectable. If you work for the New York Times, you were respectable. You got your phone calls answered. They were serious, which is why they were the primary target of the rising conservative media. And the number one pejorative that is still laid against the establishment media every day to this day by the right is that they are, in truth, part of a vast liberal media conspiracy. (laughs) Emphasis on liberal. And this is from the New York Times, December 1994, back when the Republicans swept to power under the uh, auspices of Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh. And the title is, I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, Republicans get a pep talk from Rush Limbaugh. This is from Baltimore, December 10th. To all the advice for the new Republicans coming to Congress, add this from Rush Limbaugh. A hostile press corps lurks inside the Beltway. Quote, you'll never, ever be their friends. The talk show host warned most of the 73 Republican freshmen at a dinner here tonight. Quote, they don't want to be your friends. Some female reporter will come up to you or one of you and start batting her eyes and ask you to go to lunch, and you'll think, wow, I'm only a freshman. Cokie Roberts wants to take me to lunch. I've really made it. And the audience laughed. Seriously, Limbaugh added, don't fall for this. This is not the time to get moderate. This is not the time to start trying to be liked. 73 Republican freshmen. Yep. In one year. Yep. That was 1994. I remember that was Newt Gingrich. Yeah, it was. And the contract with America. Uh-huh. I remember thinking during that election season, oh, this is going to be bad. Bad. Very, very bad. Because Newt Gingrich and his group had put an ad with the contract with America in the TV guide. Remember the TV guide? Yeah. I do. Yeah. And that is how you reach people that will not be reached by any political avenue. Oh, yeah. Well, and and the balance of this article that I quoted is all about how Republicans were lining up to kiss Rush Limbaugh's ass and explicitly thank Rush Limbaugh and conservative talk radio for their victory. The majority maker, he got a plaque from those guys. He got a speech. He got a parade. They loved this guy because he was the one with Newt Gingrich politics at his back who got them the House of Representatives after 40 some years. Mm Mm-hmm. I can tell you, it never fails to crack us up when we hear from the right about what dangerous, Soros-paid liberal stooges the establishment media is. Yeah. The liberal media. Oh, my God. The liberal media's done it again. <laughs> Why can't they see Barack Obama's a uh, uh-huh. Kenyan terrorist? Kenyan usurper. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as cringe as they were during the Reagan administration, they were worse during the George H.W. Bush administration. 
They were positively embarrassing during the Clinton administration. And they so completely shit the bed during W. I mean, come on. That in a sane, healthy media environment, no fair-minded person could continue to believe that the establishment media was liberal. Not, not only that, trustworthy, but yeah. the you fact just, that there's a liberal media out there. Yeah, is insane. They clearly have, ne- have never read the New York Times, <laughs> <laughs> actually read it. Or, and also the, the myth that conservative media is just a natural and healthy reaction to the excesses of a liberal mainstream press. Yeah. Uh, no, it isn't. No, no. And, and you'll hear all the never Trumpers say this, that, you know, perhaps the conservative media went too far, but it really was a reaction to the extreme liberalism of the mainstream media and the mainstream press. And finally, in was a healthy- it because Walter Cronkite said they couldn't win in Vietnam. Is that what cracked them? Oh, prob- or or Robert Bork. I don't know. I, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to understand because I don't speak of their language. But, no, but the uh, idea that there were people like Dan Rather... And and Woodward and Bernstein, right? Going after exposing Nixon as a criminal, right? Right, and they never forgave us for it. Yeah, yeah, it was the media's fault for actually covering that. Well, and part of it was the first thing you do when you build a cult, which is what they were doing all the way back then, was tell everyone in your cult you can't trust anyone outside the cult, right? Because they're all part of the conspiracy. And anytime anything blows up in your face, just say, "Well, you don't understand." How deep the conspiracy yeah. goes. And Fox News has been saying that all along. And that's why in in any healthy immediate environment, no one could possibly believe that um, the right had been right. No one could possibly ignore the fact that the crackpot alarmist left, like you and me, had been right all along. We were right mm-hmm. all along. After all, we had warehouses full of receipts. And we not only remembered that which had gone before – and how it had led to what had we had come to. We wrote about it every goddamn day. We have archives. I have, I don't know, 11,000 posts in my archive. Mm-hmm. I can go back to 2004 and five for real-time stuff. And in those archives, there are references to much, much older source material. So we have a huge warehouse full of junk that we can pull to the table. But we don't have a sane, healthy media environment. And really, we haven't had one in living memory. In -hmm. fact, the media environment that we do have has been so bent and so hopelessly compromised for so goddamn long that most people have come to think of it as just normal. This Mm -hmm. is just how things are. They always must be. There's no way to change it. And in that warped and hopelessly compromised ecosystem, the true story of the terrifying trajectory the GOP was on and how extreme conservative media had become was a story that the establishment media wasn't going to touch with a barge pole. They wanted nothing to do with that. Frankly, it scared the shit out of them since they were already pot committed to appeasing the conservative media and ignoring what was really going on just below the surface in the Republican Party. They had already larded their op-ed pages and their venerable magazines and their serious political opinion shows with neocons and Bush regime cheerleaders using them like so many sandbags to protect themselves against the rising fury on the right. You know, they'll come get us. Look, we'll get look, angry we got, letters. We got we got David Brooks on the New York Times. You can trust us. You can Fuck trust you, David us. David Brooks It'll be is, okay. a, right. is a rhino. Yeah. No. The, the right continued to refuse to be appeased no matter how many neocons they put on the air. Uh-huh. Attacking the media as Soros-funded liberal conspirators, no matter what the truth was, has been part of their DNA since at least the days of Spiro Agnew. And remember the nattering nabobs of negativism, Driftland? The nattering nabobs of negativism. Yeah. That was yeah. that was Pat Buchanan, pretty sure that was Pat Buchanan. No, no, I think I think it was um the guy who wrote for the New York Times. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know on, what? On language. William Sapphire. William it was Sapphire. Bill Sapphire. I think yeah. you're right. Mm-hmm. And and the clearer it became that the Bush administration was shaping up to be possibly to the most comprehensively awful administration in American history. Yeah. Sweet summer child. Little did we know. Little, <laughs> Little we did realize. we know. Yeah. The more the right amped up its frenzy over imaginary liberal media bias in the establishment media. It yeah. just that's their DNA. That's how they coped. They coped yep. with the with reality crashing it around them by screaming that it's all liberal media bias. It mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. it went on 
way longer than it had any right to during the Bush administration. And in that environment, no matter how much of a disaster Iraq was turning out to be, or no matter how much the world was teetering on the edge of a second Great Depression, or no matter how grotesquely conservative media lied, or how clearly the Bush administration proved its criminal incompetence and corruption every goddamn day, there was no chance the corporations that own the establishment media were going to start telling the true story of how us shit libs had been right all along. No way, no how, that was never going to happen. But that still left the lords and ladies of the establishment media with a little bit of a problem. Yeah. The reality all around us had become so bad and so stark that there was no way to continue pretending that Iraq and the Iraq war wasn't a complete disaster. Or that the economy wasn't in free fall. You couldn't deny that. Mm-hmm. Or that the Bush administration's response to Hurricane Katrina had been anything other than criminally negligent and racist. Even David Brooks stood up and paid attention <laughs> on the failure of Katrina. Yeah, that shocked me. And and the thing is, there even then, and I don't think this would be true today because they seem to be able to reprogram themselves on the hour. Mm-hmm. But Republicans in during the Bush administration did think that the government was good for two things, mm-hmm. war and natural disasters. Right. Federal government was supposed to step up for those things. Mm-hmm. And on those two things, Iraq war and Katrina, Bush just failed. Outright. Outright, Outright. failed. And it wasn't a failure that unavoidable. Right. Those it two was incompetence. It was incompetence. It was sheer and was lying and us corruption. into the wrong war. And corruption. And was, yeah. And corruption. And, yep. and that came crashing down on them, and there was no way to pretend otherwise. Yep. So if you're an establishment media decision maker up in the C-suite, uh-huh. uh, how do you then explain these things? And a hundred other Republican atrocities, large and small, without, you know, we can't blame Republicans. No. That, God, <laughs> God help us. We can't actually point to them and say they're the fucking problem. Yep. Well, it turned out that when you have your meaty capitalist thumb on the establishment media scale, resolving this dilemma isn't really hard at all, especially in an environment where the chronically uninformed public did not want to hear that one of its two major political parties was going insane and that maybe something should be you know, done about that. And the Republican base at the same time was frantically looking for some serviceable lie that will let them all off the hook for everything that they had said and done, all that had happened during the Bush administration, while at the same time letting them keep their racism and paranoia and contempt for us America-hating, terrorist-loving, libtard, commie scum intact. And the establishment media found its golden path through this minefield by first going all in on the narcotic of both sides do it journalism that high-status neocon grifters like David Brooke were selling. And second, by giving the entire Republican base a free pass to step through the Bush-off machine and be magically transformed from a mob of rage-drunk Republican bigots into the grassroots independent Tea Party. And it took two to three years before anyone in the media was willing to say, oh, by the way, the Tea Party is all former Republican. Right. And those and, and once it was safe, once yeah. they had gotten away with it, once yeah. they had, you know, covered the Republicans exiting their disaster by burning their Bush Cheney lawn signs and swearing that they were independents and never heard of these guys. Once the damage was done, they said, oh, by the way, you know, uh, we should probably mention, yeah, they were all Republicans all along. Blah, yeah, blah, blah, the blah, polls blah. say they were all Bush voter Republicans. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You couldn't have found that out at the time? Well, it was a brand us, new political movement. They told us they were all independents, Blue Gal. Yeah, they were all independents. Right. And they'd never been involved in politics before. Right. And almost overnight, in the media and on the Sunday shows, but the Democrats became the all-purpose, all-occasion, get-out-of-responsibility-free card for all Republican atrocities, while all of those millions of words of lucid, brutally accurate liberal blogging about the depravity of the Republican Party were buried under a smothering avalanche of both sides. Both sides. It's always both sides, Blue Gal. Both sides. And as an extra precaution, when we liberals raised our voices to try to be heard over the belligerent and increasingly openly racist shouting of conservative media and the white noise drone of the both sides do it media, 
the establishment would dispatch the tone police, uh-huh. whose job it was to shift any critique of the right away from the content of that criticism to the terribly rude tone of that criticism, which, you know, only makes Republicans worse, Drift it, it only drives them further away. And if only we America-hating, terrorist-loving, et cetera, et cetera, commie scum, we're just a little more polite, blue gal. It's never asked of the right, ever asked of the right. But it it is only we who have agency in anything. And we really need to guard our language more. We need to be a little less strident. You know, if our tone might have been so off-putting and alienating, blue gal, that maybe, just maybe it was actually our fault that the right was going off the deep end. If only we were more respectful, you know, more open-minded. So, Democrats then nominated and elected the most polite, reasonable, respectful, tonally perfect centrist candidate we could find (laughs) to try to fix all those still-burning catastrophes that eight years of Republican governance had left in its wake. And pop quiz, Blue Gal, do you remember what happened next? Oh, yes, I do. The conservative (laughs) media went berserk. Yep. They sure did. Because uh, that polite, reasonable, respectful, tonally perfect centrist candidate, he was his skin was not tonally perfect. No. He was a black man who's a Democrat from Chicago. Yeah. And the high-spirited, principled grassroots uprising by politically unaffiliated patriots called the Tea Party responded with an eight-year-long racist primal scream. Uh-huh. And the establishment media still marching in lockstep along their golden path of both siderism. And I think we really have to say overwhelmingly white. Oh, God. And, yeah. and oh. wealthy. Yes. And privileged. Mm-hmm. Beltway media spent those eight years of nonstop Republican obstruction, lies, birtherism, slander, and sabotage, demanding an answer to one question. Mm-hmm. Why won't Obama lead? Why won't he lead, Blue Gal? Why? all while reassuring the disengaged general public that the Republican Party was just doing normal government things. And it takes 60 votes to do anything in the Senate, Drift Glass. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. just normal. That's just normal government stuff. It's in yeah, the Constitution that was, somewhere. That was David Gregory. Oh, you yeah. know, it takes 60 votes in the Senate. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe if Obama were more leaderly and more centrist or more compromising. Or more compromising. Yeah. Yeah. And so... The American public doesn't need to stop watching American Idol or The Bachelorette or Gilligan's Island reruns or anything and pay attention to the Republican Party filibustering their own bill to stop Barack Obama from having any success. Right. And then once you've stopped him from doing anything and he tries to issue executive orders, then you attack him for being a czar, being a tyrant (laughs) with all these czars out there. Why why isn't he governing like like an elected president? Why does he – does he think he's king? Does this black man think he's king? So then we need to jump ahead a little bit uh, to the time that Donald Trump came down that golden escalator. And while the establishment media was laughing itself to death, what little was left of the liberal blogosphere, remember the theme of this podcast is the liberal blogosphere, what was left of us warned that this orange beast slouching towards the Republican nomination was literally, literally, the Republican base of bigots and imbeciles made manifest. The base of bigots and imbeciles that the establishment media still categorically refused to believe existed. So here's a snip of something that I wrote on January 18th, 2015. And the reason I mentioned the date, it was two days after Trump came down the escalator. This is me writing, quoting myself. As I wrote a few years ago, the brain cast of the GOP spent 40 years and billions of dollars carefully breeding an army of reliably angry, paranoid, racist chumps. And they've been so successful at completely re-engineering the right's ideological digestive system that they can no longer process any information which has not come to them in the form of Fox-approved Benghazi goo. In other words, in order to win elections and rake in vast fortunes, the conservative brain cast has painstakingly created the perfect feeding ground for con men and demagogues like Donald Trump. The louder and more bombastic, the better. And from David Brooks and the Wall Street Journal and Meet the Press to Ann Coulter and the Washington Free Beacon and the Breitbart Collective, In one way or another, virtually everyone in the media makes bank by flattering conservative meatheads and pandering to their delusions, unquote. That was 2015, Driftglass. 
That's that was 2015. Pretty prescient, I gotta two, say. Two fucking days after Donald Trump comes down the escalator. That's yep. and and I did I didn't believe he'd get the nomination. I thought the GOP would write him a two billion dollar check. Right. I thought they would write him a check away. and give him a show on Fox to stop him. Yeah. But I never doubted that that was the face of the GOP base. That's, oh yeah, no. That's no. He's this, just, this was what they wanted, right? So the establishment media insisted that everybody needed to calm down because it's going to be Rubio. Don't worry. It's going oh, to be just, Rubio. He'll never, he'll never get past insulting John McCain. He's and besides, dead in the water. Yeah. besides Drift Glass, isn't Bernie Sanders scary too? You know, so scary, you know. You know, both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and then Trump was nominated, which troubled the establishment media a little bit. But, you know, economic anxiety and all that. Sure. Yeah. You know that stuff. And, and they, they didn't cover the fact that the only thing he wanted changed in the Republican uh, plant platform was the Ukraine plank. Right. That's it. That's hmm. it. Weird. Everything Kinda else weird. is fine, whatever you want. But you got to be nice to Russia about Ukraine. That's right. Said Paul Manafort. Mm-hmm. And anyway, you know, Hillary Clinton has a lock on the 2016 election. Oh. It's fine. It's going to yeah. be fine. Which suited the establishment media's agenda perfectly because they could beat on her like a pinata. All they wanted to. Secure in the knowledge she was definitely going to win. So what did it matter? And that would make us look balanced. Right, exactly. Because we're going to maintain our both sides do it bona fides. We're going to inflate trivial Hillary Clinton bullshit into a fake scandal big enough to match the actual scandals that are spilling out of the Trump campaign every single day. Mm-hmm. Remember when the Muslim ban was going to disqualify Donald Trump? Oh. Completely? Yeah. I thought the um, the uh, Hollywood Reporter audio would qualify. <laughs> yes. well, I didn't think so because I know the Republican base. We live among them, and they love this guy. And every time he stepped in it, and all the pundits said, oh, that's the end of Donald Trump. Like, nope, you really, really don't understand these people. But you know who do? Does we do, and we're happy to share that knowledge with you. But again, uh, liberal commie Strident. bastards, yeah, Strident, Strident. Class, Strident. Now, this is about the time that I struck up a little bit of a combat with ABC News chief political analyst Matthew Dowd, who I've written about a lot over the last, I don't know, five or six years. I tapered off a little bit, but at the time, Matthew Dowd was one of the most both siderist assholes on television. It was also ABC News's chief political analyst. And he was all over the media insisting that if you're going to talk about Trump scandals, you have to talk about Hillary's emails in exactly the same way or you're not doing good journalism. And the Pope, the very Pope, the man at the very top of the cult of both sides do it, Mr. David Brooks of the New York Times, managed to transition effortlessly from columns insisting that Bernie was as dangerous as Trump to columns insisting that Hillary was as dangerous as Trump because nothing mattered. Because Hillary was absolutely positively going to win, and then everybody would get what they wanted. After milking the Trump campaign for every dime and ratings point it could, the establishment media could look forward to at least four very profitable years of, why won't Hillary lead, bashing and bashing and bashing every goddamn day. And conservative media, well, this is a Christmas present for them every day because <laughs> they, could just, they could just dust off all the old Clinton-hating scripts they have from the 90s and update them with new fake outrages. This was going to be can gl- do. We can do Whitewater too. Oh yeah, and more Benghazi hearings. More Benghazi. Yes. What? What about Vince Foster? Did anyone ever really get to the can bottom? Can we of impeach that? her now, please? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Everybody was going to go home in a limousine, right? And then the terrible thing happened. The impossible yeah. thing happened. Trump mm-hmm. won, and I commend to your attention all the chaotic backpedaling that passed for journalism after Trump won. As the establishment media scrambled for an explanation for this impossible thing. Mm-hmm. And not just any explanation would do. The establishment media could not afford to radically update their priors. Because people could remember what they said. Yeah. So whatever bullshit they settled on would have to comport with all the political bullshit they had already sold to the public. Their new big lie would have to go right on pretending that the Republican base wasn't really a mob of unhinged bigots and imbeciles who really loved Donald Trump. Right. Uh, The new big lie would have to lay off at least half the blame on the Democrats. Democrats, yes. That was easy. Uh, She said basket of deplorables. That's enough. Disqualified. Yep. Hillary wasn't likable enough. They Mm -hmm. shouldn't have nominated her. Right. So unlikable. Too much baggage. She should smile more, really. 
uppity liberals made Republican voters feel bad. And uh, so they reacted by voting for Trump. They were they no, reacting to how mean liberals were to they had them. No, they had no choice, really. They, had they no really choice. had no choice but to vote for Trump as a protest vote. Yeah. You know the drill. All right. So the new big lie would also have to absolve them of their responsibility as journalists by claiming that no one could have possibly seen this coming. Yeah. And most importantly, any new big lie would have to place a very strict embargo on considering any events before 2016. Or Especially any... anything they said before 2016. Oh, you, no, no. That's all. That's why we got to look forward. Why are you why are you looking to the past, Blue Gal? Why why are you so obsessed with what I said the past yesterday? Five or six Blue Gal? years have been amazing. Yeah. Um, or any notion that Trump was actually not a black swan event, but the culmination of an escalating derangement of the GOP, which had been going on for decades. A derangement which had been fomented every day by conservative media and most damningly had been actively ignored and deflected every day by the both sides do it establishment media. Which is why, in January of 2017, the media began erasing all evidence that Barack Obama had actually ever been president of the United States. Shh, just go. We're not talking about him anymore. It's over. Quit, quit remembering things. And at this moment of seemingly impenetrable darkness, the only people holding a candle and offering a way forward were the last remnants of, say it with me now, the liberal blogosphere. Yep. We were yep. the only ones with a coherent theory of the case, a clear, fact-based explanation for what had happened, why it had happened, and most terrifyingly, who was responsible for it. And we have video and tweets oh, and yeah. even, you know, the ghost tweets right. of Matthew Dowd, who had deleted his entire Twitter account. They're still in my blog. They're still, They're still on there. his blogs where he talks about Hillary being just as bad. Mm-hmm. But just as it happened after the collapse of the Bush administration, that was a story the establishment media emphatically did not want told because that story violated all of the plot points they insisted on. For example, liberal bloggers and podcasters were not going to pretend this all began in 2016. Nope. Nor were we going to pretend that the Republican base were just misunderstood patriots, Driftglass. I know. Or that both sides were at fault. Mm -hmm. Or that the establishment media wasn't deeply complicit in the derangement of the right and the normalization of the conservative propaganda machine. And don't forget, just erasing any comment that Mitch McConnell might be abusing Senate rules to block everything Barack Obama wanted right, to just, accomplish. We're not, that, well, that's all we're not going to talk about that. That's all, that's all in the past. And Fox News is just a normal news organization doing normal news stuff. Mm -hmm. And and some of the people over there at Blue Gal are great journalists and reporters. I don't think you realize that. Oh, there's some great people at Fox. Oh, lovely people. I know them personally. <laughs> so once again, we, the last remaining liberal blogosphere folks, were shut out. And once again, faced with the prospect of trying to continue to shout into the abyss while subsisting on our tip jars and our very supportive and loving readers. And you know what? After 20 years of being right and being hated for it, that's kind of hard to take. Just to be perfectly honest, it's really kind of hard to take that. But don't worry, because in this brave new world, there were also winners, Blue Gal. Big, big winners. On the right, the wingnut welfare state has never been more lucrative. Oceans of money are available from crackpot billionaires for almost any enterprise. I think it's really important to remember that both Bush and Trump mm -hmm. delivered enormous tax cuts to billionaires. Yes. That was one thing they consciously and positively pushed and accomplished. Yes. And so revenues for Charlie Kirk's Dunning-Kruger fascist project, <laughs> Turning Point USA, which is supposed to grow young conservatives, right? Right. Exactly. Um, their revenues were $78,000 in 2013, and in 2021, it was $55.8 million. Yep. In one year. Uh-huh. In 2020, Turning Point Endowment, they have an endowment? Uh-huh. Had revenues, now hold your breath for a minute. Uh-huh. Turning Point Endowment, Charlie Kirk's endowment has revenues of 16576 thousand 
$350. Yep. I, I did some math right before we came on the air drift class to see if our podcast has made $1 million in 14 years. In the aggregate. Yeah. In the aggregate. Before taxes. Yep. No. No, not even close. <laughs> no, we have not. No. No, we have not. Not in 14 years. Nope. $16,576,350 in the bank. Uh-huh. Last year, for just a one-evening speaking engagement sponsored by the Sangamon County Republican Party, Charlie Kirk made more than Drift Glass and I make in six months of your blogging, my working for Crooks and Liars, our podcast, and mm-hmm. everything in between. Yep. Yep. And that's not uncommon. Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire is now a $100 million a year business. A year. A year. Uh, and as of this writing, Joe Rogan, you know, who con- is conservative on one day and then he's libertarian, smoking pot libertarian, and then he's whatever. He's got a net worth of $120 million. Yeah. And of course, let's not leave out Steve Bannon, who is practically minting money, especially by my pillow guy, mm-hmm. by just vomiting plots and conspiracies from his basement. And so, being an infomercial yeah. for whatever crackpot billionaire wants to come on a show. Absolutely. And yeah. having enormous influence over the actual Republican Party. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is a very long and frightening list of crackpot conspiracy mongering scum who make tens or hundreds of millions of dollars doing this thing while the ragged remnants of the liberal blogosphere are doing what we've always been doing, living off our tip jars. Well, I, I'm old enough to remember Pammy Atlas uh-huh. claiming on her blog, conservative blog, that we liberal bloggers were raking in the money hand over fist oh, from yeah. George Soros. Oh, of course. And, and we that still are. she and the conservative blogosphere were living on fumes. Fumes, I tell you. I know. It's tragic, really. No, no. Uh, the other winners were a tiny number of recently former and current but disgruntled Republicans who ran afoul of the Trump mob in one way or another and found themselves cut off from the Republican consultant wingnut welfare money trough that had been sustaining them. And they were perfect for establishment media primetime for all the reasons that we liberals were not. Mm-hmm. First, they all had long-established relationships with colleagues and friends in the media. Recently, former Republicans like MSNBC host Nicole Wallace and Joe Scarborough have made a cottage industry out of laundering the reputations of their Republican pals and presenting them to liberal audiences as the true heroes of the resistance because they have the uh, power and strength to speak out against their own party. They're willing speak to speak out against Donald Trump. They're willing to say mean things about Republicans, Blue Gal. No one else is willing to do that out there in the world. <laughs> Not a single solitary soul. It was a little rocky at first. I know we've played this audio before mm-hmm. of um, Joe Scarborough and Bill Crystal having a slap fight over who's to blame for Trump. Yeah. And yeah. during that time, some truth actually accidentally leaked out. Yeah. Um. However, eventually everyone got their story straight and it all smoothed itself out. And bloody Bill Crystal, who Rachel Maddow had once spent an entire segment vivisecting as the wrongest and most untrustworthy hack in politics, was magically transformed into a perfectly trustworthy regular commenter on our liberal TV cable network. Yeah. Now, he's not on the Rachel Maddow show. She gets to no. pick and choose who yes, she wants she to have on. But he's on. But Bill Crystal's on Morning Joe plenty of times. He is, along with a whole bunch of other people who have no business being on my liberal TV yeah. before actual liberal bloggers, in my opinion. Now, after Bill Crystal's weekly standard was snuffed out, by the way, you remember that Rupert Murdoch was the person who created the weekly standard, so you would have a high-toned magazine to you know pump out conservative propaganda after it was snuffed out during the Trumpist purges MSNBC was invaluable in helping Bill Crystal and former Wisconsin hate radio veteran Charlie Sykes launch their new media corporation the Bulwark by putting seemingly every Bulwark employee on the air in constant rotation to talk about one their new media company and two to tell people that Trump was a bad guy he's a bad guy blue gal 
Who else is going to tell truth like that on the air? Now, just for a moment, consider how different the media landscape might be today. How different the answer to the question of this podcast, whether the liberal blogosphere might be, if corporate media had ever supported the liberal blogosphere with just a fraction of the resources that they pour into things like the Bulwark or the Lincoln Project. But the stories we liberals were telling was still highly radioactive to the lords and ladies of corporate media, while these never-Trumpers fit the establishment media's requirements hand in glove. They, too, were very much not interested in talking about the long road their party had traveled to arrive at Trump or the roles they had played in paving that road. They, too, wanted the rise of Trump to be classified as something you know, inexplicable, a black swan event that no one could possibly have seen coming. And at least for the first few years, they, too, were eager to pretend that Trump didn't really represent their party as they knew it. The loud, crazy meatheads that showed up at his rallies were just a, a tiny fraction of the party, but the vast majority were level-headed, salt-of-the-earth, old-time conservatives, and however imperfectly Trump represented the legitimate grievances of this economically anxious party base. Never Trumpers could also be relied on to mention the arrogance and elitism of us America-hating terrorist-loving libertar commie scum. As a big part of the reason for the rise of Trump, we were to blame for that. Uh-huh. I cannot emphasize enough how fast and unshakably this all became the conventional Beltway wisdom. Suddenly, ridiculous Trump voter whisperers like Selena Zito were getting a lot of attention and safaris by the Washington Post and New York Times writers to the unexplored continental interior to speak to the patrons of Ohio diners. <laughs> Blossomed into its own genre. Yep. It's like we took a nap in 2014 with establishment media scolding us, America-hating, terrorist-loving, libtard, commie scum, for our stridents and immoderate language. We said, fuck, Drift Glass. We, we did. did. And we and we called Republicans bad people, and they have bad policies, and, and one day, it's all going to come back and bite them on the ass. Yeah. But we woke up in 2016 to find hardcore Republican soldiers like Charlie Sykes and Steve Schmidt and Michael Steele beginning to colonize MSNBC using exactly the same language to describe Donald Trump that we, I'm not going to say it again, libtard commie scum, <laughs> uh, had been using for decades to explain what was happening to the Republican Party. Yeah. What the fuck? Then, very much as it had with the Iraq War and the Bush administration, it began to become pretty painfully obvious that all the initial establishment media estimates of the extent of the catastrophe that the Trump administration was becoming had been really grossly underestimated. It was not a tiny fraction of the base that were nuts. It was virtually all of them. It was not a few Republican senators and representatives who were happily goose-stepping along with Trump towards oblivion. It was virtually all of them. The few holdouts in conservative media folded, and the freaks like Bannon and Kirk and Shapiro prospered. This was not an anomaly or a fever that was going to break. It was a deeply rooted existential threat to democracy. Yeah, it was. It was. So, okay, fine. Now that it was finally clear that the left was the only group that really had been right about the right all along at an existential level, could we at least look forward to seeing any of the last few red minutes of the liberal blogosphere on my TV telling the truth? People who were smart and eloquent and weren't afraid of a camera and a microphone. Maybe the rude pundit or Digby or Brad Friedman. Or any of the crew from Crooks and Liars or Stephanie Miller or Nicole Sandler or Blue Gallon Drift Glass. Yeah, who Anyone? knows? Yeah, they do Zoom from home now. I mean, why yeah. not? Yeah. Instead, we took another quick nap and woke up in 2020 just in time to catch Republican mercenary Rick Wilson's act on CNN. He had him rolling in the aisles mocking the credulous boomer rube demo. Demo? Demographic, yeah. Yeah, of the Republican base. Yeah, and there were a lot. There were they were hilarious. There were, I mean, uh, Don Lemon was crying. He was laughing so hard at Rick Wilson mocking their hillbilly accent and talking about how dumb they were. Oh, they loved that shit. That's very strident, though, isn't it? It is. What about all the scolding that have been heaped on us liberals for our crude and disre disrespectful language, Drift Glass? I know. What about all of that? 
the endless lectures we endured about the legitimate grievances of the Republican base that we had ignored and thus had driven the decent yeoman farmers of the GOP base into the arms of Donald Trump, that was our fault. It was our fault. And why weren't the tone police dragging Rick Wilson off to courtesy jail? I know. The tone police were always on the, on the beat to, to crack heads of liberals who were talking exactly like Rick Wilson was now talking on television. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because Rick Wilson wasn't a minor liberal blogger living in the middle of middle America. Wilson, who had friends all over the networks and all over the media, was also the co-founder of an outfit called The Lincoln Project which would soon be mired in multiple scandals, but which was, at the time, raising tens of millions of dollars from credulous liberals to create YouTube ads, which were basically political porn hub for lefties, but would make no difference whatsoever in the upcoming elections. Wilson, at the time, was also enjoying a few weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was all thanks to the relentless, glowing coverage that cable news was now lavishing on recently former Republicans who were all setting up their own media companies, which were doing literally nothing more than appropriating 20 years of liberal blogosphere critiques of the right, and then sanding off the serial numbers and passing them off as bold new insights. Mm-hmm. 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 So whither the liberal blogosphere? Mm-hmm. Well, it's right here. It's you and me blogging. Just as we've done almost every day, rain or shine, marriage or surgery, for going on 20 years. And it's you and me podcasting. Just as we've done almost every week for going on 14 years. And you know what, Blue Gal? God willing and the crick don't rise, we will rise on our beds here in the middle of middle America and do our best to do it all over again tomorrow. Um. We're, we're missing one thing from this podcast, and I hate to bring it up. Uh-huh. Um, because Sink Uger was on MSNBC for a hot minute. He was. Um, so was Melissa Harris-Perry. And so was Melissa Harris-Perry. Where's she now? Yeah. 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 Uh, and so they tried that. <laughs> and I remember... Um, when Sink was on, this was like 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. very early year, early months of the Obama administration, right? And he got mad as as what this was this was what they were all supposed to do, right? Is try to match Rush Limbaugh. Right. In terms right. of, you know, being angry and yeah. shaking your fist and so yeah. forth. Yeah. But Sink was mad at Obama for yeah. not doing something. And the person that he had on who was also from the network, I don't know if you remember this, um, the other person he was interviewing said, yeah, but you got to kind of calm down and calm down your tone. It's going to be okay. Um, and it's sort of like on the air giving him career advice about, yeah, but, you know, you can't quite approach it that way. Uh-huh. This was all on the air. Yeah. It was Mark Halperin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Mark Halperin used to be all over that network. Remember and, him? <laughs> yeah. And all over um, NBC. He was a yeah. stalwart on Meet the Press. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that happened all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. many people have been tossed off that network, um, mostly for, you know, naughty, bad sex pest stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was a, remember that campaign where MSNBC was saying, some people might think we're moving too far right. We're moving too far right. That was 2012, I think. Yeah. 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 But it was. So after they fired Sink and, you know, I mean- I have issues with Sink. Uh-huh. Uh, I try not to say bad things about fellow liberals and fellow Democrats and fellow whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they did try out, you know, this blog thing is catching on. We need to have some people who are comfortable with the camera. Right. And also have cred with the Daily Coast crowd. Right. To come on the air. And right. until, until, until... Um, Joe Scarborough raised a stink about Marcos Melitzis yep. uh, being on with Keith Olbermann, yep. and Marcos Melitzis was banned because yeah. Joe Scarborough, Republican Joe Scarborough, did not like this. Was were, Joe Scarborough's opinion of liberal bloggers, which he said on his show, were we are 
Cheeto smeared t-shirt wearing right. we, we living have in our mom's basement. All over our chest. Yeah. Um, idiots who don't know what we're yep. talking about. And of yep. course, Joe Scarborough has never been right for three days in a row about anything in his entire life. But he does have four hours of airtime on cable television. And yes, that's and that's the problem. The problem is there is no outlet for the liberal blogosphere. There's no support for it. There's no structural support for it. And that's what happened to the liberal blogosphere. There was never a moment when any established organization did what they did for Rick Wilson and Charlie Sykes and Tim Miller, which was reach out and say, we're collectively, we're going to lift all of you people up. We're going to put all of you on the air. We're going to put you in rotation and, and we're going to support your media platform directly. And that yeah. just never happened. It's never going to happen. So yep. the liberal blogosphere is still here, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little thinner and a little tired or a little grayer than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marcos also had no problem calling out Joe Scarborough while he was on Keith Olbermann's show. Right. Which is so, adorable. You know, yeah. You know, so I can see why. I mean, I don't think it's right, but I can see why the people in the C-suite were very nervous, crapping their pants every time Marcos was on. Well, and there is an unwritten rule that's very clearly part of their corporate um, um, ethos, which is you never attack any other person who works for MSNBC. Right. You never right. talk shit about them. You never mention their past. You never. And that's no, why. And it's if, if somebody that you shit on in the past is now a employee of MSNBC, they're the greatest person in the world. Right. You shut your mouth. Yeah. And that's why um, you know, the minute Matthew Dowd came under Nicole Wallace's protection. Yeah. His entire awful, sketchy, both sides do it bitchy, wrong-headed past just vanished and yeah. nobody else on the network mentioned it. And that's the problem with corporate media generally, which is if you and I know that this guy's a problem and you yeah. and I know that everybody else working with him know he's a problem and all of them sit on their hands and pretend there's no problem, there's no problem. The question is always, well, what else are you lying about? What right. else are you covering up? What else are you not telling me that I should really know that you can't tell me because your corporate boss won't let you tell me. We still need more Patreons to make this podcast fly. Yes. If you can support us in that way, please go to patreon.com slash proleftpod and sign up to become a member of our wonderful group of supporters. We appreciate you so much. See you next time. See you next time. The Professional F Podcast No Fair Remembering Stuff Tuesday edition is produced under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2022-23, DGBG Productions.